Hello and welcome to another episode of Connecting the Dots. I'm Jake Lancaster, an internal medicine physician and the chief medical information officer for the Baptist System. Hey everybody, I'm H.F. Mason. I'm a general surgeon and chief medical officer at Baptist Memorial Hospital DeSoto and chief quality officer for the Baptist System. And today we're very honored to have back on the program Dr. Kurt Jensen to talk about the theory of constraints. Dr. Jensen, welcome back to the program. Jake, thanks. So uh, we'll see if I can do better this time. Oh, it's great to be back. Um, you know, and you've invited me back to talk about the theory of constraint, or excuse me, the uh, queuing theory. Um, so I'm an emergency physician. I have a mid-career, I picked up a mid-career MBA with a heavy emphasis on operations management. I've done a fair amount of work on operations management, emergency department, and hospital-wide patient flow. Um, I've co-authored roughly five books that deal with emergency department and hospital-wide patient flow. I've worked with a number of people who are very talented in this field, and I've spent a lot of time in the past with the uh, Institute of Healthcare Improvement on hospital-wide emergency department flow. So it's a subject that's very dear to my heart, and there are a number of tools and theories in patient flow and operations management that can be very helpful. And, and for our listeners out there, just to to let you guys know that along with his colleague, Dr. Uh, Tom Meyer, they uh, they uh, co-authored a book called Hard, Hardwiring Flow, uh, and, and uh, it's a great book, and I highly recommend it. But one of the and, and and Kirk, just one of the things to point out is that really jumped out at me is that you guys equate value with flow. And anything that increases flow uh, in a hospital is creating value for that patient. And and that has just really hammered home. But, um, you know, including me, I don't know. I don't know a whole lot about the queuing theory and uh, the theory of constraints. But uh, so for our listeners out there, give us tell us exactly what the theory of constraints is. Well, and and I will. And, And the neat thing about these concepts and Jake yeah. was a physics major, so he, oh, yeah. he I'm sure he knows. <laughs> they, all they still didn't teach that in the classroom. Yeah. though. <laughs> and and th- these are very powerful concepts. Um, you, you see them out and about in the world all of the time. And you, you don't have to be a physicist or or even a general surgeon to, to understand these things. And if in you get a basic once one has a basic understanding of the key operations management, patient flow concepts, demand capacity management and modeling, queuing theory, variation, the theory of constraints, the psychology of waiting. You can make key gains in any of your processes. And again, what I love about these concepts is they're fairly simple. They're mental models that people may not have been exposed to in their training or in their careers. And, and once you have an appreciation for them, you, you see them everywhere and it gives you the ability to leverage um, those concepts to improve both your work life and personal life. So the theory of constraints um, is a, a business model and operational model that was developed by Eli Goldratt, an Israeli physicist. And basically what the theory of constraints says is that most businesses or processes 
are a, a series of networks or cues. And the, the key thing to do is to identify the key constraint. And, and one has to be a little bit careful. Uh, in modern day usage, uh, constraint is a very reasonably popular or common term. When Eli Goldratt first wrote the goal, constraint was not a commonly used term. And in Eli Goldratt's use, constraint has a very specific meaning. It is the key bottleneck that bottles up the entire process. So uh, oftentimes I'll talk about the critical constraint or the key constraint, but Eli Goldratt was very specific that constraint meant the one step in a process that was holding the entire thing up. And you see this everywhere. I mean, we're patient flow, patient care is a network of cues and even and, and a complex network of cues. And, and we see multiple processes both within the hospital and when we go outside the hospital. When you uh, stand in line for coffee, uh, when you're in traffic, when you're traveling and going through TSA, what you see are a series of processes. And it's usually there is one constraint or one key step that holds that up. And then the genius of the goal and Eli Goldratt's approach is is identify that key constraint and then devote your resources to what he, what he called elevating the constraint. And, and there are several ways to elevate the constraint. One is to uh, allow the constraint to, to do what only they can do, such as letting a surgeon just operate and devolving some of the other things to uh, a physician assistant or a tech. Um, letting the TSA rep just scan people coming through and not doing any other uh, of the other busy work. Um, the other way to elevate a constraint is to um, provide more of the constraint. And that's usually not the first step, but a second step. And then once you identify the constraint and solve for it or elevate it, the flow through the entire process should improve. And then part of the fun is, then there'll be another constraint that was less critical than the first constraint. And you just stay, uh, take the same methodology and look at that constraint, elevate it or solve for it. And, and then from a business standpoint, from an economic standpoint, what really generates money is flow through the system. So the better off your flow is, the more money a system will recoup or generate, and that allows you to pay for resources. And, and again, this is a business model um, that has multiple applications to healthcare. So when we tend to adapt it to healthcare, we're not necessarily thinking about return on investment or, or, or making more money. It's improving service and improving our capabilities. So the theory of constraints is a very simple but profound mental model that provides a lens to look at a process or a series of processes and decide where to go to work to fix it. Because all of us, no matter how well-resourced we are, um, have limitations on how much quality improvement work we have available. So, so let's go ahead, Jake. Yeah, I was just going to say, let's, let's talk about some concrete healthcare examples. We mentioned flow and, and ED flow. We've talked about that a few times with you. 
and others on the program. Um, and when we think about a patient going flowing through the ED from waiting, registration, um, all the different processes that can occur within the ED, you know, the theory of contraction said there's one of those processes that is uh, really constraining the system the most that needs to be elevated. Um, where, in your experience, is that constraint? Is it is it the number of waiting rooms, number of uh, exam rooms, number of patients that a doctor or nurse can see, radiology lab? Where, how do you go about identifying that key constraint, and and what what is the common one for us? Well, you know, the, the answer to every good question is it depends, and it depends upon volume, time of day, et cetera, et cetera. Now, the emergency department. Uh, is also an example of a queuing system. It's a system with unscheduled arrivals. And so if you look at, and it's a specific type of queuing system, it's a multi-phase single, not to get too technical, but a multi-phase single, uh, no, a single phase multi-server queue. So basically, if you look at a, a pay, an individual patient is on a journey through the emergency department, and actually has to encounter multiple healthcare professionals, multiple servers that provide a service. So if we, if we think about the flow of a patient through the ER and think in terms of a process flow map or a journey of the patient through multiple stations, uh, arrival, registration, triage, uh, physician, imaging, lab, results back, then disposition, decision, and then either admission to the hospital or home. Each step of the way has a server providing a service and a bottleneck can occur at each one of those servers if the demand for that service exceeds capacity. So currently in the emergency department today in 2022, the biggest constraints are admission to the hospital, um, boarding patients in the ER due to insufficient beds. There are nursing shortages so that um, nursing supply is a key constraint. In the early stages of the pandemic, we saw um, great variation in patient arrivals and severity. So there were multiple areas where there were constraints. In this day and age, if you look at the, uh, the um, implementation of operations management and the associated principles, most emergency departments can define, most if not all emergency departments can define the journey of a patient through the ER and where the key servers come into play. And then we can map a model the arrival rate, the service rate, the amount of time it's going to take to provide that service, and then the number of servers we need. And some parts of that modeling are simpler or easier than others. So if you look at triage, triaging a patient is a fairly well-defined activity. It's uh, And there is variation in how long it takes it, but it's fairly discrete and how much time it's gonna take. We can define uh, within reason how many patients are gonna come. So we can model that a bit more easily than we can model nursing times 
in physician care times because of the wide variation. And that said, part of the uh, challenge in the emergency department or any system with unscheduled, unplanned arrivals is the variation. The variation in arrival times, the variation in service times, not every ankle sprain patient is the same, not every chest pain patient is the same, and then the variation in service times and the number of servers. And, and uh, arrival times in a queuing system are actually are very interesting. They're, it, it's, for those of you, for those of us with a deep clinical background, it, they're irregularly irregular. So it's like atrial fibrillation. And uh, the slower the rate is, the more it seems like there's a lot of irregularity in arrival times. The faster the rate, the more it starts to seem like it's highly regular. So part of the, so when we're looking at flow through a system, especially a queuing system with unscheduled arrivals, part of the challenge is comes from the variation in arrivals. Part of the challenge comes from the variation in service needs. And then part of the challenge comes from the variation in service capacity. So queuing theory evolved in the mid, the early 20th century as a way to study those problems. I.K. Erlang was a Danish mathematician and engineer who was working for the uh, Copenhagen telephone system. And he wanted to develop some models to understand how the system worked and to try and optimize performance. So he, he wanted to figure out how many telephone circuits you, they needed to provide a service so that callers weren't waiting too long. He also wanted to model um, how many telephone operators do you need to provide a level of service. So he developed the basic mathematical um, approaches that define this. And in 1920, um, he published his seminal paper telephone waiting times that laid out the foundation for queuing theory. And we see we see queuing and queuing theory applications in all kinds of areas. So anywhere in healthcare that there is unscheduled demand, that's a queuing system. So emergency department arrivals, urgent care center arrivals, emergency surgery, requests for laboratory services, requests for imaging services, um, requests for PT. Um, most of those, many of those, if not all of those, are unscheduled. And it's a queuing system. Now, unscheduled doesn't mean that you can't forecast those results. We can get very good approximations for what the demand is based upon historical use. But a queuing system is anywhere you have unscheduled demand. And back to the emergency department to, uh, to illustrate some of this. So when I'm a, if I'm a patient, when I arrive at triage, that's one part of the queuing network. Um, I get taken back to a room. That's another queuing system. Waiting for a physician is another queue. Waiting for lab to be drawn is another queue. Waiting for labs to come back is another queue. So it's a complex network of queues. And that's another reason why the theory of constraints can be so helpful 
as a lens for looking at our systems to decide and define where are the key bottlenecks and then how do we solve for that. And in complex systems that are net, actually networks of queues, like the emergency department, the bottlenecks can bounce around depending upon both the time of day, the amount of resources available, and the variation in patient arrivals and service capacity. You, you talk about the bottlenecks, and I know that that a lot of times the bottleneck is completely obvious. I mean, it's easy right. to see. Right. During during hospital week, we had we had a fajita day where we were all having to serve our team members, and I was having to put the guacamole yep. into these little bitty cups and put a top on it. And and it didn't take long to figure out that I certainly was the uh, was the bottleneck because that's as that's a general where, rule the surgeon yeah. is going to be the that's right, exactly. Yeah. But uh, I mean, but they'll how, never admit it. Yeah. No. How do you yeah. go when it may not be quite as clear? How how do you go about finding that bottleneck? Yeah, just uh, the simple application of data and modeling. So you are you are correct. Um, often it is possible to define the bottlenecks by looking at where is the work piling up? Where is it waiting for service? And that's a great place to start. The next layer is just simple mathematical analysis. What are the number of arrivals per key unit of time? You know, is it minute, hour, day, shift? So arrivals per unit of time, and then just study on average how long it takes to service that request, that task, that patient. And then look for whether or not you have mapped your service capacity effectively to that demand. And, and what's another, so queuing systems have, have unique characteristics. And one of those unique characteristics that's very important to understand is that it's a nonlinear system. And let me go a bit deeper on that. We, we are so often used to, think, used to thinking of processes as something akin to Henry Ford's assembly line, where things move along, we apply resources at a given moment of time. If we just have enough resources, then the assembly line runs smoothly. And again, we're, we're using engineering and operations management language uh, in applying that to healthcare. It doesn't mean we're ignoring patient satisfaction, workforce satisfaction, uh, workforce capabilities, et cetera, et cetera. We're just using this as a model. But in, in, queuing, uh, in a queuing system, to allow for the variation in arrivals, to allow for the variation, you know, not every, not every taco you put together is the same. There's different requests. Um, uh, some of the ingredients may not be immediately available. So, so there's also variation in service time. So we can't staff at 100% utilization. And in a queuing system, what we find is you often want to be staffing at a service capacity of around 80 to 85%. Because as you exceed a utilization rate of 80% in a queuing system, the the rates of waiting or rejection rise exponentially. So in a queuing system, as, as demand goes up, weights don't go up in a linear fashion. They go, they're sort of linear at first, 
and then they rise exponentially when you hit a, uh, a utilization rate of about 80 to 85%. So once you exceed that rate, that utilization rate, so if, if I can see uh, as a physician, uh, let's say uh, at a, an urgent care clinic, four patients per hour, that's my service rate. If I'm actually seeing, if I'm staffed for three patients per hour, then I'm staffed at a utilization rate of 75%. If I'm staffed at four patients per hour, now I'm staffed at 100%. So in a queuing system with variation in arrivals and variation in service rates, when we exceed a utilization rate of 80 to 85%, weights for that server or rejections of service rise exponentially. That's the bad news. So queuing systems, um, when server utilization exceeds 85, 90%, go bad really quickly. That's the bad news. The good news in a queuing system, if you're at a utilization rate of 85, 90, 95%, small increases in server capacity bring you down the curve or small increases in server efficiency or productivity also bring you down the curve. So let's go back to the ED flow example. Uh, you mentioned that right now in 2022, one of the big uh, bottlenecks or the, or the number one constraint is staffing shortages, nursing, um, the, I guess the in number of inpatient staff beds would, would be the constraint uh, or, or the number of inpatient admissions that a nurse is able to do. And so you talked about after you identify that you need to elevate the constraint. So talk to us just about how you would do that in this situation uh, that we're all in today. Yes. So uh, first of all, there are no simple answers for very difficult problems. Um, but back to we've identified a constraint. Um, how would we go about elevating that constraint? So if we're looking at nursing on the inpatient side, one would first seek to define the demand for those nursing services, then define exactly what nursing service means. What are the key things that that nurse and only that nurse can do? Sometimes that's called uh, allowing our healthcare professionals to practice at the top of their licenses. What can they do and only they can do and strip away everything else? Let that nurse, um, that tech, that clinician do what only they can do. And then once you've defined that, gotten to that point, um, and, and some things like with, uh, with nursing or with any sort of clinical activity, how much time is spent getting supplies, how much time is spent running around, how much time is spent documenting things, you know, for billing purposes. So we define what that key server does, what is unique to what they can do, what is the value adding services, um, elevate that person, that service to the point where they're doing that and only that. And once you're there, the only other ways to elevate the constraint are either to reduce demand or elevate capacity, add more capacity. Mm -hmm. 
So what we're seeing on the nursing side is, you know, um, limiting the forging for supplies, um, supporting them with techs, um, scheduling, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we see that in a number of, of other arenas as well. Yeah, I was, I was going to talk about or ask about periop. Um, that's, you know, right now we're also seeing uh, a shortage in the number of uh, especially just periop staff that are available. Um, similar idea with with being able to elevate that is just strip away everything else that is not critical to that position. Yeah, well, yes. And, and what underlies all of this? I mean, you if you have. Uh, um, if you need five nurses on at a given time and you only have three, there are going to be problems yeah. um, that may or may not be insurmountable. And what we see, we want our systems or our processes to operate sort of in the, in the comfortable zone where there's adequate demand or capacity for the demand. Then what we sometimes or oftentimes see in healthcare is we, our systems are operating in the coping zone where we have enough capacity, people, products, um, places that we can adequately take care of patients, but not necessarily take care of them nearly as well as we'd like to. But we can take care of them well enough so things don't fall through the cracks. But that's not where we want to be. So if, with the theory... Go, go ahead, Jack. No, no, no. I was just going to ask, with the theory constraints, if you know, there's multiple different processes, but there's only one that is the the kind of the critical path. Improving the other processes, like for instance, the patient's ED um, radiology turnaround time or lab time or the time for the ED physician to see the patient is, is not only is that not gonna improve the overall flow, but it might actually make things worse. Is that correct? It won't necessarily, so, so if, we, if we look at the, the patient's journey, as a series of process and its journey through the ER, through operative services, through the inpatient units, there are a series of steps. Each one of them is served by some sort of clinical resource. So what the, the beauty of the, the goals approach, the theory of constraints is the first step in looking at a series of steps um, that define a process is what is the one step that is holding up the entire process? And that's where to focus your resources. If you have an abundance of quality improvement resources, you can work on other um, steps at the same time. There may be other benefits, patient satisfaction, workforce satisfaction, et cetera, et cetera. They may not necessarily groove the pro uh, overall flow through the process. But once you've elevated one constraint and solved for it, then you will identify other constraints that are worthy of work as well. And, and I, I guess just to just to tag on Jake's question, if you if you misidentify the the, the main constraint, are, are you going to help the? Are, will you help the system a no. little bit, or you won't help a it lot. at all? Maybe a little. I, I remember. Um, working with a team years ago. They'd gone off to a conference and uh, there was a presentation by a team that had a hospital that had developed an admissions nurse for the ER. So they had um, developed a role for a nurse just to handle patients that um, decision had been made to admit the patient out of the ER 
uh, and to prep them for admission and to sort of, to also offload that work from the inpatient um, nurses. Now, in that particular hospital, in that particular healthcare system, it was a huge boon for them because the the work involved in preparing a patient for admission was a key constraint in that hospital. So in hospital A, so they ended up hiring 4.5 nurses because if you're going to staff something, you know, 24 hours a day, um, seven days a week, you know, the um, 8,000, 4,750 hours or whatever, 8,000. So that's 4.5 FTEs. They hired um, 4.5 people and then promoted that solution at a conference because it worked for them. Hospital B took that solution home, trained their admitting nurse, um, hired 4.5 people, and then noticed no improvements in the time from decision to admit to getting the patient um, upstairs. And that was because in their set of processes, that wasn't the real constraint. The constraint was getting a bed upstairs, not mm. the work of the admissions nurse. So that's why it, it, it's one of the reasons why it's very important to just do a simple process flow analysis of flow through whatever system you're looking at and a simple process flow analysis or a value, value stream mapping and define where the constraints are, what the resource needs are, and then attack them. I was uh, got a question for you. I'm yeah. going to kind of put you on the spot as, as an expert on this subject. Um, how much could we in, in, in healthcare, uh, in the ED or anywhere where we're, we're concerned about flow, how much could we improve and get better if we just truly took the time to to map these processes out, to look at it, to look at it critically and try to try to identify the constraints. I mean, I, mean, I, I imagine you go in EDs all the time or anywhere and you say, gosh, you know, I could help you guys so much. Well, yeah, so you are putting me on the spot in the uh, again, the answer, it, it depends on what set of circumstances we're talking about. Right now, we're in a very anomalous situation. You know, a once in a lifetime, once in a generation, once a century phenomenon where COVID's rampant, we have resource shortages. So in that situation, we've got to solve for the, uh, the, the, the staffing shortages. But if we're looking at an emergency department or complex system, the ability of applying the the benefit of applying operations management principles, demand capacity uh, mapping and modeling, process flow mapping, um, understanding the principles of queuing theory, uh, lean management. It, you're looking at 10, 20, 30, 40 percent improvements. Then and again, part of that involves stripping away the non-value activities, it's leaning out our processes and then also stripping away the non-value activities that clinicians, technicians, et cetera, et cetera, also undertake. Yeah, there's certainly a lot of waste that we can get rid of. Uh, Kurt, before we start recording, we talked about uh, Mr. Goldratt's, <clears throat> his, his book, 
called The Goal. The Goal. And uh, I read it a couple of years ago, and uh, it's it's a it's a fascinating, great book. T- tell us, tell tell our audience a little bit about the book. It's 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 a great read. So, The Goal was written by Eli Goldratt, um, an Israeli physicist, and it lays out the model, his model, the theory of constraints. Um, in a novel form. It's a novel. So it's a story about, in this case, a man um, who's trying to save his job, um, rescue his marriage, and uh, improve his relationship with his son. And the novel's an easy read. And using the theory of constraints, the protagonist solves all three of those problems. Um, and, And it's a great read. It's an easy read. Um, if you go to the uh, Eli Goldratz um, website, there's even a 15 or 20 page synopsis for those of you that don't have the time to read it. But it's an enlightening read. It's an entertaining read. And I never look at a system or a process without thinking about the theory of constraints. There is probably not a day that goes by that I'm not thinking and using the mental model of the theory of constraints. Well, Kirk, that is great. And, and also, in addition to the uh, to the book, The Goal, I highly recommend Hardwiring Flow that you and, and Tom wrote. It, it's it's a great book as well. And, and Tom, this has been a, a fascinating discussion. Um, you know, I've learned a lot. I hope our, I hope our and I know our, our listeners have heard a lot. And, and once again, thank you for coming back. And uh, I, I can see you and Tom being regulars on on the uh, on the podcast. So uh I'm sure Skip will be reaching out to you again pretty soon. It's been fun. Thank you. Uh, always great to talk to you all. <laughs> all right. You have a great day. Okay. Bye-bye. <laughs>